are you guys for God or are you not? I mean, it's not a very complicated question, is it? Are you pro-Christ or are you anti-Christ? And yet so often we try to censor that question. What we looked at last week in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through, oh, about 23, I believe it was, as we looked at that last week, this idea of the Antichrist, the Antichrist is coming, many of them have come. The idea is not to be taken to mean this is only one individual who will come at some point in the future, one powerful government ent entity or some such personage. This is to be understood in a more general context, I believe, a more general idea that anyone who is not for Christ is against him or anti-Christ. The idea John is trying to communicate here is that God and Jesus are a package. You cannot have God if you do not have Jesus, and you can't have Jesus if he's not God. There's no point to that. God and Christ are one package deal, right? The Father and the Son, that's a better way to express it. The Father and the Son are one package deal. You cannot have one without the other. And so he comes at them and he just asks, hey, are you for God or are you not? That's your choice. But here's the choice that you should make. So let's start reading in 1 John. Let's start in chapter 2 and verse 24. We'll read through the end of chapter 2. So verses 24 through 29. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears we might have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Simple few verses there, but there's a lot going on. I tied these three together because of this running theme of remaining in Christ. Uh, the Son and the Father primarily remaining in the Son. When you talk about these two, well, Jesus is the one we know how to remain in. He is the one who revealed the Father to us. Without Jesus, as Jesus claims a couple times in the Gospels, without him, we don't know who the Father is. No one has seen the Father in any time, but those who have seen the Son have seen the Father, in essence. That's the idea that's going on here, and so we are to remain in the Son. If what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, verse 24, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. Verse 27, uh, just as he has taught you, remain in him, right there at the end. And then verse 28, so little children, remain in him. Uh, still, yes, in verse 28, I already said that. This idea is you need to remain in Jesus, and that's reinforced in these three separate sections. In verses 24 and 25, you have this idea that you have a job. God gives you a promise if you do your job, and you need to accomplish that job. 
in verses 26 and 27, then you have a slight warning about people who don't want you to do your job, but you need to do your job anyway. And so John comes back around and verses 28 and 29 have another job and a promise. Hey, you need to do your job. You need to stay faithful to remain in Jesus. The promise is good things if you remain in Jesus, but the job is that you need to remain and continue in the path that you are already going. And so John here kind of puts this little chiasm in. I haven't thought about uh, bigger implications of this other than this strict passage, but John puts this little chiasm in, a chiasm being uh, two uh, external things that match each other with an internal idea. So the idea here is that there's a job and a promise. In the, in the end, there's a job and a promise. Verses 24 and 25, 28 and 29. And then in the middle, sandwiched between them, is a separate point. And probably the focus of the point and the emphasis that John is trying to put is in the middle of the chiasm, which would be there is a warning for those who are trying to drag you away. Those who are the antichrists themselves who are trying to drag you away from faith in Christ so that you will do something different, so that you will be following Satan instead of them. And, uh, well, we all know how that's going to go for them. When you look at verses 24 and 25, you have John starting out here. He commands us to remain, right? He, he commands us to remain in the Son and in the Father based on what we have heard from the beginning and what we have heard from the beginning is to remain in us. So we have something we're supposed to remain in, that is, Jesus the Son. We also have something that remains in us, that is, what we have heard from the beginning. That reminds you, that should remind you, hopefully, of language from chapter 1 in verses 1 through 4. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes and observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That kind of evidence that John provides for them. The idea here is that they know Jesus. They've had that experience, Jesus and by extension the Father, based on the evidence provided in the Gospel of John, based on the evidence provided in the other Gospels, uh, but specifically the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel, basically, uh, well, the one written by the same writer. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have already evidenced to you in our gospel back there, you need to hold to that. And if you stay faithful, then you receive the reward from that, a reward of life. It's very simple, you know. It's not a difficult proposition is stay in this pathway and you have eternal life. We'll address why that is at the end, if I, if I remember anyway. Uh, so keep a pin in that. Why is that? Why will, would us being faithful help us receive life? But that's the promise that John puts out. And so, well, it's there for you to consider. However, he puts a warning out then in verses 26 and 27. He puts a warning in the middle of these two promises and repetitions of the job you're supposed to do. And he says, look, there are some people who want you out. I have written these things to you, a similar construction from verse, uh, verses 12, 13, and 14. I have written these things to you, he gives a reason why, so that uh, concerning those who are trying to deceive you. There are people who want to drag you away. There are people who want you out. There are people who want to remove you from the faith 
and um, John doesn't want that to happen to any of his beloved little children. The blessing is that God has already given you everything you need. In verse 27, he talks about an anointing you received from him who remains in you. Who is that? Well, it's it's God, or or maybe it's the word, what you've heard from the beginning. It is something related to God. You receive an anointing from it, a selection. You don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, so remain in him. The idea is there's this blessing that God has already forged a connection with everyone. Maybe that is through the Son and us remaining in the Son, the Son remaining in us. Uh, that is Jesus, not the Son, S-U-N, but the Son, S-O-N, of the Father. Maybe it's through Jesus's connection with us and the truth that they already know through that. Maybe it's with the Holy Spirit and something to do with the word that he's provided. Maybe it's something to do with the teaching they have heard. Maybe it started with Paul. Maybe it started with John. I don't know who started the churches that he's writing to exactly, but maybe it's this connection that they have with God. The idea here is that God has already forged a connection with them. And people are going to try and break that connection. What they need to do is remember their connection. Remember why you believe what you believe. Go back to the beginning and take in what it means to be a Christian and figure that out, right? Because it's it's not about learning something one time and then kind of moving on and forgetting it and you never have to have it again. A lot of this, well... In this world, we'll run into people who try to drag us away and try to teach us something different and try to tell us to stop believing. But there's a reason we believed in the first place. What John is begging for is for them to, to hold to what they know because there is a truth that did convince them. This is not for you to blind yourself to not consider any other viewpoint. This is rather, when viewpoints come up, to uh, consider every viewpoint. A lot of times what happens is people in the world start teaching something and people in, in the church or people who have been Christians, at least before, they hear a new teaching and they're like, oh, that sounds interesting. That sounds kind of cool, um, but it doesn't sound very much like God. And so instead of examining the teachings that they know, they take the new one because it sounds good or because it's in the public square or because it's well-known or because someone they like is advocating for it or whatever. And instead of reviewing why they believe what they believe and why they are Christian in the first place and why they would go to church at all and believe in God, they reject that. John doesn't want you to just reject the stuff that you're used to because you're used to it. Hold to the truth. That means you examine everything thoroughly. That means you examine the Bible thoroughly. That means you examine the Gospels thoroughly. That means you don't discount anything, right? Whether it's the Bible or maybe it's science or maybe it's history or whatever it is, you examine everything thoroughly because truth has nothing to fear from examination. There are going to be people who try to drag you away from what you believe. What they don't want you to do is check in on what you believe, because oftentimes when we check in 
on what we believe on the core tenets of Christianity, we find that they are still true. And whatever the newest fad is or the passing trend or whatever is going on, it's passing away and it's gone soon and we didn't need to hold to it at all in the first place. Hold to the truth, not lies. There are people who want you not to. There are people who want to drag you away after them. But don't be so uh, floaty in your ideas. Don't be so temporary, so transient. Hold to the truth and do whatever it takes to stay there. And so you have a job. And you have a blessing if you complete the job. Your job is to remain in him, in verse 18, so that when he appears, guess what? You can have confidence and not be ashamed. There's your blessing. You have a job that is to remain. You already have the truth. You should stay there. Constantly examine that. Compare it to every other truth that's propositioned. Find the true truth. Find like the actual uh, truth of the matter. I should stop using the word truth. I feel like it's become meaningless at this point. You should find what is accurate, what is honest, what is right. And if that's God, then you listen to him. And if it's not, then go somewhere else. But the fact is, when you do listen to it, it turns out that God was right all along. If you do remain, if you do keep living right, you can have assurance in your place before God. That's the ultimate conclusion that John comes to. And he states it very firmly before them. But like in verses 24 and 25, well, he says, you'll receive a reward, you'll receive life. How do we know that that's true? He says in verses 28 and 29, you can have assurance in your place before God. Okay, how do we know that that's true? Well, we have to examine what we know to be the truth. How do we know anything to be the truth? We know it only by thorough examination, not assumptions, not just hoping, not just blind faith that something is, that maybe this thing is accurate. That doesn't help anybody. No, that gets us absolutely nothing. If we want assurance, if we want the truth, we have to investigate. Therefore, what we have heard from the beginning, that's what remains in you, isn't it? The call is to let the sun remain in you because what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And what you've heard from the beginning is that evidence that John has provided. Here's the thing. A lot of people will hear the modern day ideals and they'll say, oh, that sounds nice. That sounds convenient. That sounds like it would work. And then they give themselves to the modern day ideals without considering the repercussions of denying who God is. A lot of people don't hold to Jesus very well because they haven't really considered who Jesus is. A lot of people are not pro-Christ. They're actually anti-Christ because they have not considered who God is. John does not want us to be that way. John wants us to have a full consideration of everything. Therefore, he wrote a gospel. I'll keep coming back to this point because it keeps being true, and it's really an argument that he's seeming to make. I've written a gospel recording historical fact. If you don't, like, this is just the fact. This is how it was. Go read Matthew. Go read Mark. Go read Luke. 
Go read John. These are all historically accurate. If you check the details, they are accurate down to the minutest. Go and check the record. Go and read history. And then instead of imposing your opinion or following whoever's opinion or holding to what sounds good, hold to what is right. If you do that, if you hold to what is true, you will find yourself holding to God because it's just the fact of the matter. If you don't, I mean, everyone has a free choice. You're free to not hold to God, but that doesn't mean he's not true. That just means you're not really paying attention. The promise, the, the, the reason John can state these things so matter-of-factly is because they are matter-of-fact, because they are based on fact. He makes no bones about that. It's as simple as that. Go back and check history, and you'll find that it's right. And since it's right, he offers this ultimatum in this, in this little section. If you're pro-Christ, you get everything from God. If you're anti-Christ, you get nothing from God. So which are you? It's a question, isn't it? Which one are you? Are you for Christ or not? Are you pro-Jesus or not? You can deny him and then you get nothing from God, or you can affirm that and work with him and you get everything. And that's kind of the difference. Because the fact is that Jesus is Christ. Jesus is God. That was attested to and is attested to by history. Do you want stuff from God or not? Complicated language to communicate a very simple concept, isn't it? And yet that's the basic question. Do you believe in the evidence that evidence is for Jesus? Or do you disavow history itself? Based on that, you know which side you're aiming for. So I'll leave that with you. It's up to you to decide whether or not you actually believe in this stuff. A lot of it sounds crazy, and a lot of it sounds unconventional, because it is. But the facts of the matter are that it happened. Up to you. So make that decision for yourself, and start introducing that decision towards other people. Because the reality is that everybody's going to have to own up to this fact one day. And if they don't do it now, it's going to be a lot more painful for them later. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed I hope you benefited some from that. More an apologetic discussion than anything else. But it's true. And there you go. And that's the simple truth that John is trying to say. Next week, we'll pick up in chapter 3 and verse 1. And uh, that's one of my favorite verses. And chapter 3 is, is very good. Picks up right from here, remaining in God, and takes, takes this idea and runs with it. The thing about 1 John is this is not a book intended to prove God to you. That's what the, uh, that's what the Gospels are for. 1 John is a book of how you use that application. And so, uh, for whatever that's worth, if you're struggling with the idea of the historicity, this book is not going to help you. But this book is going to help you what to do uh, with what to do with the fact of that historic value. So a different perspective, maybe not always sure how to best communicate that over the the audio, but we're trying, and hopefully you pick up some good lessons along the way.
Thanks for listening. Hope you benefited. God bless, and I'll see you next time.